Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message from Rick Benjamin. Brothers and sisters, longtime friends, first-time guests, one and all, good morning. Yeah, that's my name, Rick Benjamin, lifelong Alaskan, lifelong lover of Jesus, lifelong lover of the Bible, Lifelong lover of church, really. Growing up in church, I used to hear preachers say something like this. They'd say, before I speak, I want to say something. It always made me smile, too. Before I speak, I want to say something. I've been part of a pastor's dialogue group black pastors, white pastors, meeting together since last August, coming together, building relationships, finding one voice. All these people, men and women, really love Jesus, really love the Bible, they're people of character. So when that horrible attack at the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, D.C. happened on that day, January 6th, and then there were people carrying signs up there, with Bible verses in the name of Jesus. Allegedly, a person stood up in the Senate and pretended to pray in Jesus' name. During all that sin, violence and profanity and vandalism, we all saw it. These pastors, we just felt compelled. We have to say, that is not the way of Jesus. That is not what Christians do. So we wrote a statement. We worked on it very hard. And then you got to sign it. And so they wanted you to sign your name, your title, and your church. So I signed Rick Benjamin, Pastor, Unite Church, along with all the others that signed it. And then we, we did a press conference, and we kind of read from the statement, and then we prayed it. It was a really spiritual prayer time, and Channel 2 was there. But they didn't put it on the news. And so our statement got put on a website in Alaska. And then I understand where it said, Rick Benjamin, Unite Church, Pastor, then maybe some of you thought it meant I was speaking for you. Not for one second did I ever think I was speaking for anybody but myself. That's presumptuous. I wouldn't speak for my wife. And we're one. I, I always knew that, but I understand the appearance of that. So some people, when you read that, said, well, Rick, I don't think I agree with all these statements. Sure. Understood. But it caused some confusion, as if we were all in agreement somehow, like we're one big monolithic statement, all of us members of this church. It's not true. So I'm very sorry, and I mean that. I'm very sorry for any confusion, any distraction. I love this church. I've poured my whole natural life into this church. The last thing I ever want to do is be a problem or a distraction for this church. We've worked hard to have a church environment where we can disagree and love each other and stay in relationship. I'm part of that. You're part of that. We want that. And so I want to say now very sincerely, and some of you are here in this room and maybe watching, eight or nine or ten of you, my brothers and sisters, you've talked to me. You've called me on the phone. We've talked here in this room. I can't thank you enough for just loving me in that way. And we talk to each other and we listen to each other. And, yeah, I learned some ways we could have said it better. Thank you. 
But you know what? I don't think we came to complete agreement, but I think in those conversations, we actually love each other more. I feel like we're closer to each other. It's very precious to me. So I want to issue an invitation. Please talk to me. Please call me. My number's listed. I'll give you my cell phone number. Please uh, talk to me even today if I can help in any way and we can have that kind of dialogue and respect each other and love each other and know each other more. We think that just glorifies God all the more. Amen. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I do pray. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for brothers and sisters in the family of God. I pray for peace. I pray for unity between us, the kind of unity where we love each other even when we disagree and we respect each other and we stay in relationship. God, forgive us where we said or done anything that's anything different than that. We pray for us to be one like Jesus prayed for. I pray for you to take the distraction away, even now, even in this room. Lord, Help us to keep hearing from you. Help us to focus our eyes on you. Help us to hear from the Bible. Help us to hear by the Holy Spirit. Even now, God, in this time, thank you for the gifts you've entrusted to me. Let those gifts flow through me to accomplish the purpose of your people, feeding your people, edifying your people, teaching and challenging your people. Let that happen here, God. And... As I speak to them, please speak to me that way you do. We thank you. We praise you. We love you. It's not about us. It's all about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Like I always say, uh, thank you. But when I was praying, I wasn't actually talking to you. <laughs> but I know what you meant, and I appreciate that. Okay, I've been telling you a Bible story. In case you want to know, maybe you don't, it's called narrative preaching, where the preacher tells a story from the Bible that has things in the story that really are there that the preacher believes the church needs to hear now. So we chose this story of Ruth. And so I've been sitting on my stool. You may have noticed, maybe you didn't. Because I'm being more of a storyteller than a preacher, don't you know? And my wife, Dolores, says, the stool's not working. <laughs> she said, you're still kind of nervous and twitchy, and you still get up sometimes. And, and I said, no, I can do it, I can do it. And so... And I even didn't wear a necktie. Did anybody notice that? Oh, well. I thought it was kind of more casual. Okay, so the story of Ruth happened long ago and far away. Maybe 3,000 years ago in little Bethlehem in Israel. Why? Why are we telling the story of Ruth? Why are we telling the story of Ruth now? One reason, we quoted this verse in Romans 15, verse 4. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us 
so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Everything includes the story of Ruth. God wrote by the Holy Spirit the story of Ruth in the past to teach us, to give us endurance through the scriptures, to give us encouragement, to give us hope. That's why. That's why we chose this story. To share an Old Testament story, and yet to share my love for the Old Testament, and maybe encourage you to give the Old Testament another chance. Because it's filled with stories like this. And you can read them for yourself. They're all still there. And you can find all these beautiful New Testament messages in these Old Testament stories. It's a story about a light in a dark time. We remember the time of Ruth, a time of anarchy, a time with flawed leaders. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we chose this story for now. It's a story that does encourage, and it does edify, and it gives hope. It's a story about renewed hope. Because maybe you're struggling in the middle of this dark time and this dark winter with feeling hope. Also, maybe you're struggling like Naomi was with bitterness. Remember? Poor thing. She was so angry, angry at God even. Maybe you're struggling with bitterness in some way. We hope the story encourages you. And most of all, the why, why we shared the story of Ruth, was to introduce people to the Redeemer, the ultimate hero of all the stories, the ultimate hero of God's story, Jesus himself. And by the way, isn't it nice to read a sweet story with no anger and no conflicts and no cuss words and no enemies? It's just kind of refreshing. It all started with those awesome words of Ruth, Ruth 1.16. It's now the password on my computer at work. Don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> on that road, Naomi said, go home, go back, go find a husband, go have a life. She said those great words. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And the rest of it says, where you die, I will die. And they probably both thought that's what would have happened. We'll just go die together. Ruth's faithful love, Naomi's awful bitterness, going back to Bethlehem, still in a very bad situation, two widows alone during a famine, I called it Ruth, the power of faithful love. Yeah, the story of Ruth really is a love story. It is a romance about how Ruth and Boaz fell in love and got married. It is. But it's a story of Ruth's faithful love to mother-in-law Naomi. And most of all, it's a story about God's awesome loving kindness and faithful love to them and to all of us. Okay, last week, two weeks ago, I told about Ruth out there gleaning in the fields behind the harvesters, Boaz's kindness to her. And Ruth went home and told Naomi what happened, and Naomi felt something she hadn't felt in a long time, hope, excitement. The Lord bless him, Naomi said. God has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. That's the first of 23 times the word redeemer shows up in this little story. Ruth didn't know it, but she was looking at a glimpse of God's grace. That's what I called that message, glimpses of God's grace. And last week it was, I told you how Ruth came to Boaz one night, humbly asking him to be her redeemer. Will you accept me? That's what she was asking. 
providing a beautiful example to all of us. I think we have a verse for that too. Ruth 3. There it is. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And he said he would. Woo! That was a relief. <laughs> but there was a possible problem. I called that message submission to the redeemer. I'm thankful I submitted to the redeemer. How about you? Never forget it. Never regret it. There was a problem, though, and that's where we pick up the story today. That night, Boaz told Ruth there's an even closer relative who had the right and responsibility to be the kinsman redeemer. Boaz was a good man. He wanted to follow the law. He wanted to do it right. So he said, I have to take care of this. And he said, I'll do it today. And so, again, Ruth goes home, reports to Naomi, and Naomi said this, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest till the matter is settled today. And the message paraphrase says, that man isn't going to fool around. And he didn't. In fact, he did it that day, after that night, where they didn't get much sleep and all that, remember? And what he did was interesting. He went to the little village of Bethlehem, to the gates of the little town. Must have had some kind of a wall, some kind of gates. And then there was people gathered there that they called elders. It was kind of an informal, like a town hall. It's where they did stuff 3,000 years ago when it was going to be in public and on the record in the community. So the other relative was there, and the conversation kind of went like this. Boaz, do you want to redeem Naomi's property? Other guy, yes, I do. Second question, Boaz, so you know you'll have to marry Ruth the Moabite. Other guy. Oh, no thanks. The other relative declined. We don't know why. He didn't give a reason. Something about it might complicate his family and their whole inheritance. It might have been because she was a Moabite. It might have been because he already had a wife. We don't know. By the way, the Bible never really condemns the other guy for declining. In fact, we're all really glad because <laughs> of what happened. But the interesting way the man showed that he was going to decline, it was like the first right of refusal, was this. He took off one sandal and handed it to Boaz. I almost wore sandals today. <laughs> and I looked and studied and tried to figure out the logic. What in the heck does a sandal have to do with what they're doing here? And I still don't actually know. The book of Ruth says, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was a method of legalizing transactions. They didn't have a notary. <laughs> they didn't go to court. Uh, they didn't even write it on papers. They probably didn't even have paper. So that was it. And the guardian redeemer said, buy it yourself. Here's the sandal. I have a picture of this for you. With, not with a shoe like mine, but there it is. <laughs> the preachers used to call this guy the barefoot one. <laughs> because that day, he went home with one barefoot. <laughs> he probably had some spare sandals. You know, I don't know. Now, the sandal, listen to this. The sandal was Boaz's marriage license. 
that thing, and he says, he says to all the people there in the gate, okay, you're all witnesses. He said, no, I'm next in line. I'm going to buy Naomi's property, and that means I'm going to marry Ruth. And look what they said in the very next verse. The elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. Wow. That's beyond like, okay, that was a real blessing. Rachel and Leah were the two wives of Israel. And from them came the 12 tribes of Israel. And so that's how Israel really grew. And so they're saying, we really like this. You have our official Bethlehem Community Council approval. And God bless you. Amen. Boaz became the redeemer. Hallelujah. He redeemed Naomi's land. He redeemed Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth got married, and they had a baby. And they gave him a name, Obed, O-B-E-D. Obed means something like servant of God or um, obedience to God. So I got a picture of Ruth and the baby. Uh, <laughs> there he is. These are all paintings by artists. We don't know. I told you once the book of Ruth never does tell about anyone's appearance outwardly. Because it's not about beauty or handsomeness or any of those things. It's not about how we look on the outside. Do you know there are beautiful people on the outside who are very ugly on the inside? It's true. And God knows that. This story is about beauty in here. I can tell you how they looked. Probably everybody in the story had dark hair, dark eyes, and brown skin. They lived in Israel 3,000 years ago, all right? But look at there she is holding the baby, Obed. And all, uh, let's see. Now listen to this. This is interesting too. In a way, Obed was not just the baby boy of Ruth. In a way, that little baby was the baby son of Naomi. Like his grandma became his mom. Because remember, she was being redeemed too. And so we have a picture of Naomi and Ruth together. It's the next one. Look at Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> Remember what she said when she came back? Don't call me that. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. God's wrecked me. God's ruined me. She just owned it. I'm a bitter lady. Not anymore. Love that. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. So it's like he had two moms. What's wrong with that? And right there, the women in the town said the most wonderful thing about Ruth. I'll read it to you. Your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Isn't it nice when the ladies in a small town have something nice to say about you? <laughs> Naomi, that girl that you came back with her, she's better than all the sons you could ever have. Yay, Ruth. <laughs> Amen. They were right. She was God's greatest gift to her. God used that woman as a glimpse, a walking, living, breathing, working glimpse of God's grace and love to her. Naomi wasn't bitter anymore. She was Naomi again. She was pleasant again. It was like Naomi was born again. Get it? She was transformed in every way. Her property, her financial situation, her social integration, 
her sense of faith in God. Everything is transformed by the Redeemer and what he did for her. And you and I can all say the same. My footnote says, redemption, a key concept throughout the account. The book is a story of Naomi's transformation from despair to happiness through the selfless, God-blessed acts of Ruth and Boaz. And yes, they lived happily ever after. And hanging on the wall in their house was a single sandal. (laughs) I made that part up myself. What a heroine she is. What an example Ruth is to all of us. Submit to Jesus and your whole life to the Redeemer. Commit your whole life to serve him and worship him. Show God's faithful love to everyone in your world. Be humble like she was. Work hard like she did. And look for those glimpses of God's grace. Even in the hard times, they're all around you, and mostly they're people that God has gifted you with that love you. They're there. But wait, there's more. Because there was something wonderful happening that none of these simple people probably ever knew. Einstein said, coincidences are when God chooses to remain anonymous. In a way, God chose to remain remain anonymous in this whole story. But watch this. They named the boy Obed. He grew up. He had a son whose name was Jesse. A little bell might begin to ring in the back of your head somewhere. Jesse grew up. He had seven sons. And that baby boy, the last of Jesse's sons, was a boy named David. Yes, that David, the David, the shepherd boy, the one Samuel anointed, the youngest son of the family in Bethlehem who went out and killed Goliath one day. We sang a song about giants. He was the original giant killer. He wrote many of the Psalms. God gave him a covenant forever. Do you know David is the second most named person in the total Bible, Old and New Testament? Wow. Yes. Her great-grandson was David, the great king of Israel. She became the great-grandmother of the king. Listen to this. Ruth, the poor Moabite widow, was included in the royal family. My wife and I watch those movies about the crown and, uh, you know, Victoria and all those royal family stories. Fascinating. Ruth got included in the royal family. And she probably never knew it. But she does now. (laughs) Okay, I worked out the math, basically. They have the baby Obed. He grows up. He gets married. He has his baby, Jesse. Jesse grows up. Jesse has seven kids, and the youngest one is David. So maybe Ruth saw little tiny baby David, her great-grandson. Maybe. Some people live long enough to see their great-grandchildren, right? But she didn't know that was the David, that David. Wow. And there's even more to this. (laughs) Because, watch this, 1,000 years later, 1,000 years after King David, another baby boy was born in that same family. A young couple named Joseph and Mary, who both came from the house of David. 
they went to the city of David, O little town of Bethlehem. Yes, that Bethlehem. And Mary gave birth to David's greater son, Jesus Christ himself, who became the ultimate redeemer and king forever. Yes, you can clap for Jesus. Why not? This is where I kind of depart from being a storyteller and start to preach anyway, even on my, on my chair right here. And by the way, the number one most named person in all the Bible is, of course, Jesus. A commentary says this. It was this son, Jesus, who would redeem his elect as the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Though Boaz redeemed the line of Elimelech, Jesus would come to redeem all the people of God. Raise your hand if you're one of those people that Jesus redeemed. Look at that. Look what he did. Boaz foreshadows Jesus Christ, of course, the ultimate kinsman redeemer who will redeem a bride for himself, the church. Ruth not only became the great-grandmother of David, but became the great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus himself. Wow. And now look at this. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament, these are called the genealogies. And this goes back to the big story I want to share with you now. They used to be called the begats. Remember in the King James Version? Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, and so on. Okay, Matthew 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. We'll skip a bunch of names down to verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Bo Wait, Boaz, that's him. He pops up in this important list. Boaz, the father of Obed, the little baby, whose mother was, say it, Ruth. I want to say, yay, Ruth, there you are <laughs> in the New Testament. In the royal family, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Love that. You see, this great purpose of God started long before Ruth and Boaz and Naomi were ever born before their lifetimes, probably thousands of years before the story of Ruth. It started way back in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, verse 15. When they fell, and God was actually speaking to the serpent the day they fell into sin. Genesis 3, 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. The day they fell, even before that day, God's plan was already planned in God's great mind. I will bring forth a deliverer who's going to crush your head. And all God's people said, amen. <laughs> so right away, they call this the first promise, the first gospel, they call it, Genesis 3.15. Way back then, God's purpose was always to bring a deliverer, to bring a redeemer, who would be a son of Adam and Eve. And then through all the centuries after that, God kept the line going. So you see all the genealogies, all the begats, and you trace this line like it gets to a man named Enoch, who was a great person who one day went to heaven in some mysterious way. And then he had a son whose name was Methuselah, who's famous for being the Bible champ in the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest lifespan ever. 969 years. And he had a son whose name was Noah, who was kind of famous for the ark and the flood and all the rest. And it goes all the way down, like we saw, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Judah. And that line went right through Bethlehem 
and the simple, beautiful little story of Ruth all the way to God's ultimate purpose, who is Jesus. And one more thing, part of God's great purpose was to include outsiders in the story. Outsiders like Ruth. You read the rest of Matthew 1, there's a bunch of outsiders and colorful people and interesting stories, and God grafted them in to his royal family. Outsiders like you and me. And like Ruth, you and I can now become members of the royal family. I'm standing up again. As sons and daughters of the king. Prince Rick <laughs> of Alaska. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Princess Dolores. Prince Reed Anderson. And just think of this. We're all now part of the royal family. We were nobody. We were outsiders. We got nothing. Okay. So you see, there were really two stories. That's what I'm getting at now. There was the story down here on our level, the beautiful, simple story of Ruth, kindness and redemption and all that. And up here, above all of that, there was this other story, God's story. They say history is his story. Get it? I like that. They call it the meta story or sometimes the meta narrative. God's great story is up here above all of us. And his great purpose going on until it was fulfilled. God talked about this one time in Isaiah 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. He said, as high as the heaven is above the earth are my thoughts above your thoughts. And my ways above your ways. We're down here going through life in our stories, in our situations. He's up there always faithfully working on his story. The story of Ruth, not just a beautiful story about some simple people long ago. At the same time, the story of Ruth shows that God's greater story goes on no matter what. Bad leaders are good leaders. Anarchy, famines, pandemics, presidents. It doesn't matter at all to him. His purpose goes on. That's my title. I'm going to take a moment to compare this story to another one really fast. In some ways, the story of Ruth is like the Old Testament story of Job. Remember that story of Job? Interesting Bible book. Here's the similarities. God allowed bad things to happen to innocent people. Job and Naomi, remember? Both of them were innocent and bad things happened. For Job, it was losing all they had, losing his family, and also getting sick. In both stories, friends came along to help the suffering person. Of course, Ruth was the friend of Naomi, and Joab had his friends, or Job, rather. They were called Job's counselors, and they weren't really great friends. They, they had the ministry of encouragement. You know, Job, whatever you did must have been really bad. So why don't you just confess it now, and God can crush you. It was like that. But they were there. In both stories, Naomi and Job got bitter. Yes, Job got bitter too. He would say to God, I did not deserve this. I was a righteous man. I'm innocent. This should not be happening to me. And he got angry towards God. Read the whole book. You'll see for what happened to him. But in the end of both stories, here's the other similarity. God blessed both of them. Remember the story of the end of Job? 
God speaks to him out of a whirlwind. Job, you've been talking way too much. Now listen. <laughs> I'm going to speak and you're going to listen. And God just simply reveals himself how great God is. He says things like, where were you when I created the universe? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? And listen to me. God never once explained to Job what was really happening. And when it was all done, Job said, I spoke too much. I thought I knew you. I'm sorry. I repent. And then God blessed him and his friends and re restored everything to him all over again. Can I say something to you all in love? And I hope you'll take it that way. Stop asking why. Now, I know we all do it. I've done it. Sometimes why is just your way of saying, I'm hurting. I don't know what's happening. What do I do? But sometimes why kind of comes with a fist. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? Like demanding, entitled. I deserve an explanation. Why? Start accepting that you may never know why. I'm trying to help you now. Stay with me. <laughs> Ruth never knew why all this stuff happened. It turned out good for her and her family. But there was a bigger why. There was a greater purpose. There was God's story that was going on the whole time. Even if he never tells you, sometimes he will. But try to accept. These are God's words, Isaiah 46. My purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. And praise God for Romans 8, 28. I think we sang it today. Thank you for those songs. We sing one that says, even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You work all things together. You are always up to something good, we sang today. Here's Romans 8. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He's got a great purpose. He's telling his great story. And he includes us in the story. Ephesians 1, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Does God do everything that happens? Answer, no. Does God use everything that happens? Miraculously, the answer is yes. He takes a mess and makes a message. He takes all this stuff that we do on our level and he makes it all fit into his great plan on his level. It is a miracle. Let me suggest this. Stop asking, why is this happening to me? Change the emphasis. Try saying it this way. Why is this happening to me? Hmm. You hear the difference? And not blaming yourself either. Not what did I do? Like Job's counselors. Don't go there. Why is this happening to me? You know, in my hard times, when I don't know what to do or what's happening, and sometimes I've said, why, God? I confess I have. But when I get to that point where I say, wait a minute, are you doing something? Is there something I'm supposed to be getting here? I'm really trying hard to get it. Make it stop. Okay. When I change the question and change the emphasis and say, why is this happening to me? Almost like that. Oh, yeah, I see it. Oh, yeah. I know what's going on here. I can see something you're doing. And then peace, just peace. Okay, it still sucks and I'm still hurting. I don't know what's going to happen, but I see something. I see something you're doing. And sometimes you don't see anything at all. And that's why it's called faith. I try to do this. Brothers and sisters, are you going through something on your level? Only all of us. <laughs> try to remember that God is doing something on his level all the time. Sometimes he gives you a glimpse. Sometimes you find out in heaven. 
like the people in our story here. Either way, you can trust God. Remember what she told Ruth? He will tell you what to do. He knows what to do. The Father knows what to do. The Redeemer knows what to do. He's up to something good. He's working all things together for good, for your good and for his great purpose. It's always happening. That's faith. Here's my summary on Ruth. I wrote it myself. We were all like Naomi and Ruth, without hope and without God in the world. But someone came into our dark world, someone who could change everything. Jesus gave up all the riches of heaven. He was not ashamed to become our kinsman. He even shed his own blood on the cross to be our redeemer. He paid the price to redeem us from sin and bondage and fear and emptiness and hopelessness. And he made us his bride, part of his royal family, included in his great story. Now our lives are full of hope and joy, all because of the redeemer. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you still don't know him yet. You can know him today. Do it today, this day, January 24th, 2021. Submit to the Redeemer. Ask him to accept you into his heart. He will say yes. He's already paid for you. And he'll know what to do. Let him lead you. He'll transform everything about your life. Look around. People all around you here today are saying, yes, that's what he did for me. He can do it for you too. At the end of the service, there'll be people up here. While we're singing these songs, just get up here and start praying. And tell the Redeemer, I submit. I surrender. Accept me. Transform me. Heal my bitterness. Take away my doubt. And he'll do all of that for you. What a great story it is. One last picture. Hope you enjoyed my pictures. I still love this picture so much of the two of them. How they came under God's covering. Under his wings, Boaz said. How they came under God because of her commitment to God and how much God did for them. That can be you. Can you see yourself in that picture? I hope that you can. I see myself in that picture under that covering of God's love. You can get there today. It really is an Old Testament picture so many ways of New Testament realities, salvation, redemption, and a picture of another reality, the great sovereignty of God. That's what we're talking about this morning, how God is in charge. God is the Lord. He's in control no matter what. Ruth, God's purposes go on. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.